John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. access entry 1234.rv1615 certificate number 41916 streaking what do you think about astrology Astrology? Yeah. This is how I'm going to get into streaking. <laughs> is this how? Do you want to get into streaking? Via astrology. That's my, that's my one demand. That's the path that most people take into streaking. <laughs> they start with astrology. Uh, well, I am not, as you can imagine, a, um, a believer in astrology. What? But, uh, but Classic I, Sagittarius. I find it fascinating. No, wait, what, what is your sign? You're I'm a Virgo. Virgo. I'm a Virgo man, which when I was in my early 20s and living in a community of people that did follow astrology, when it was discovered that I was a Virgo man, everyone rolled their eyes. All the, oh, of course, Virgo man. Oh, wow. I don't know what that means. I didn't either. Uh, but it's apparently it's something. The 40-year-old Virgo. Apparently it means that I'm uh, particular and, uh, I don't know, controlling, creative, um, it seems like, bearded. It seems like the same adjectives often work for multiple signs. Sure. And sometimes for the same sign, both an adjective and its opposite can apply. Yeah, that's right. You are temperamental, but also placid. S- yeah, su- super, <laughs> super dependable, but also whimsical. <laughs> My issue with astrology has always been that it does not suggest a mechanism. What are what are what is your sign? I'm a Gemini, of course. A Gemini, of Duh. course. Yeah, actually, you are pretty Gemini. The mechanism being uh, the vibration of your mitochlorians. Well, exactly. What is the mitochlorians of astrology? I mean, say what you will about organized religion. Okay. At least, <laughs> how much time do you let's, have? Let's take a break. <laughs> <laughs> At least it posits a mechanism. No matter what, hmm. the, whether it's you're a pagan Norseman or a or a Methodist. Right. It's or the opposite. It's essentially, <laughs> <laughs> it's essentially the same mechanism, right? There's some kind of right. omnipotent sky god who sure. has put us all here. Except for the earth gods, the ground gods, tree gods. Right. So it doesn't have to be a sky god. Well, don't norm, don't, even if you're a pagan, there is a sky god. Oh, there's, sure. There's a bunch of others. Sure, there are other gods. The too. others are optional in many of these traditions. Right. Let's. I was. I was. I was thinking. Oh, God. I was being really monotheistically normative there, wasn't I? It doesn't have to be a sky god, but of course, there is a sky god. It's not the 
Sky God. Yeah, he's just uh, he's just one of the crowd. But you're saying in uh, in you're saying that you're so, not convinced that the mechanism is the pull of gravity of aligned astral bodies. Well, do people even say that? So I would be I would be happier with astrology if there was some pseudoscience. If they were saying, yeah, of course, when the planets line up against a certain constellation. The gravity pulls the the brain cells of the developing uh, birth newly birthed baby in one direction, therefore making you more uh, stubborn. That, stubborn if you're born in August, isn't that what they say? Nobody says that. Well, I always assume that that the that the alignment of the planets has to have there, there has to be a material hand that 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 makes you a thing. It's not just that the, these far off distant bodies are that, and then you are that. I need astrology people of, of any time period to respond with your blather. Right. John and I want to know, are you claiming gravity, magnetism? You know what uh, it is? It's spooky action at a distance, Ken. It's yeah, a, Once again, once again, it's sad. Uh, astrology is the ultimate spooky action at a distance. Yes. Yes. I mean, And it's a very plausible form. These are giant cosmic bodies. Like if something is going to affect whether or not I'm... Uh, temperamental because i was born in october why not a big giant star it's a schrodinger's cat or planet it's a it's a um you know it's a function machine it's a it's a red light on a box you know all those things (laughs) all those things at the same time (laughs) my version of astrology has always been this what What? We're still one step removed. We're still spookily at a distance. Talk about spooky action at a distance. <laughs> From the topic of the show. Uh, what is the What was the Billboard number one song? On, have we ever done this on the show? What was the Billboard number one song on the charts the week you were born? Oh. Because uh, surely that would have more of a cultural influence on someone than where Mercury is. Uh, well, I mean, depending on how you're, depending on what pulls you. Let me look. 1969, right? Uh, no. 1970, right? No. What year were you born? I was born during the Johnson administration, the waning days of the Johnson administration. You're 68? In 1968. Oh, you're going to get good music then. I am. Yeah, it's probably, or, you know, it could be like Last Train to Clarksville or something. What? What? What is it here? I got a list. But now, what's your birthday again? It's in the spring. <laughs> it's in, no, it is not. When's it's Virgo? It's not in the spring. <laughs> it's in uh, September of 68 is when I was born. Oh, I got some bad news for you. Oh, no. <laughs> you missed Hey Jude by like one week. What's your birthday? Well, now, wait a minute. Can that be true? Uh, oh, People Gotta Be Free by the Rascals. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Well, at least I missed Hello, I Love You by The Doors. Yeah, that August was a pretty rough. Well, do you think maybe People Gotta Be Free by the Rascals does prove my theory? Like, what song of 68 could sum up John Roderick better than People Gotta Be Free? Well, listen, what the, what, here are the options uh, in 1968. Hello, Goodbye by The Beatles would have been great. Judy in Disguise with Glasses, hilarious, great novelty ta- song. Green Tambourine, only a, only a number one hit for a week. Do you remember you and I, were you with me that time at the Mariners game? We were fighting about Green Tambourine, and I said it was like... If you and I were there fighting, if we were fighting about it, then I had to have been there. Maybe it was me and George Meyer. It, I was complaining that it was kind of minstrelsy, like it was like uh, kind of some establishment take on psychedelia. It's, oh, you're It's you like are, somebody trying to sound like Dylan or the Beatles. I love that. I love that you're getting uppity about... Uh, about hippies, either like, y- you know what, man, stop co-opting my culture. It was I can't remember. It was either you or George were just uh, like, no, it's a good, it's a good song. It you were really, like, you were really sticking up for Green Tambourine. That sounds like George sticking up for Green Tambourine. <laughs> but look, it could have been sitting on the dock of the bay. 
It could have been Mrs. Robinson was oh, in uh, t- number one. Tighten up by Archie Bell and the Drells. See, hello, I love you is bad. Harper Valley PTA. I'm just I'm one you week away. It. There was a one year, a one month, a one week gap. Sorry, between People Got to Be Free and Hey Jude, and you barely missed Harper, Harper Valley, Valley PTA, PTA being your song. Love Child by Diana Ross, and then I heard it for the grapevine. 1968, great year for music, and I do feel like uh, like maybe People Got to Be Free. That's not bad for you. It's not bad, but it's not the like the top. But it doesn't tune. have to be your favorite song. This is astrology. This is what's determining your personality. Oh, I see. So, so this that's is, why you're such a free spirit so and a rascal. I'm a tiny little baby, and this is blaring out of car radios everywhere we go. I'm sitting on I five with my mom in my little bassinet, and they're taking me back to Kingston, Washington. Certainly, that's going to affect y- y- your personality People outcome more than what Venus is doing. I mean, maybe what we should be doing is going back nine months. Quite honestly. Oh, all right. Well, so nine months from September, it would have been Hello Goodbye by the Beatles, which totally makes sense, right? I was, you know, September babies are all basically conceived on New Year's Eve. I didn't realize that Judy in Disguise with Glasses and Green Tambourine, both of which strike me as kind of Beatles Beatles cosplay novelty, hippie novelty songs were back-to-back number ones. Uh, People couldn't handle the Beatles, and they needed to back it off a little bit and get some <laughs> eat some corporate Beatles for a few weeks. It's like how when you go to like different countries, like they have to be a certain percentage of the movies in the theaters have to be domestic. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like if you're in Canada, like one hour of TV every night has to be Canadian TV or something. That's how the Lemon Pipers and uh, John Fred and his Playboy band got on the radio. You know, uh, Hello Goodbye was a bead with I Am the Walrus yeah. on uh, on the, that seven-inch single. You w- knew that already. Was huh? this before they started doing the, like the Beatles started doing double A-sides, like Penny and Lane and Strawberry Fields, I guess because John and Paul were not getting along. <laughs> I'm sure that this was a double A-side. Double A-side? Right? Yeah, I couldn't, you couldn't, which one of those are you going to pick? The reason I bring this up Oh yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Was there a reason? Or I was going down a wiki a rabbit hole on the, the Beatles cr- singles. Chronology. Well, I know listeners will be doing this right now. They'll, yeah, yeah, they'll yeah. be looking to see what uh, what songs were on the charts in the year thirty thousand when they were born. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason I bring this up is because I was very excited when I thought of this to look it up and uh, see what was number one in late May of nineteen seventy four when I was born, and I was. Was it by wings? Was it something by wings? Was it Electric Light Orchestra? I I would have loved those. Oh my gosh, are you are you kidding? No, it was a novelty song, and not even the good uh, fake the birds kind that I was just making fun of. It was Ray Stevens's "The Streak." Oh, the streak! Sure, I remember the streak. Are you familiar with the the fastest thing on TV? Are you familiar with the work of Ray Stevens? Uh, let's see. Oh, wow. You missed the locomotion. Um, he did Everything is Beautiful. and Everything is beautiful. Well, so that's the funny thing about him. He's probably best known for novelty songs like The Streak and um, Ahab the Arab. Right. So it's quasi-racist <laughs> novelty numbers. Right. There's, there's one about a pirate who wants to sing and dance. Do you know this uh, novelty song? I want to sing and dance. I About want to a pirate, huh? Hmm. He wants no. to be a pirate in I the mean, Pirates of Penzance. I'm not sure. No. I'm but, st- I'm kind of stunned here. You missed Paul McCartney and Wings by a week. Band on the Run was was <gasps> June eighth, seventy four. Oh, so I'm just I'm two weeks two away. weeks out somehow. But somehow Ray Stevens is keeping one of Paul's best solo numbers off the charts by the virtue of his streaking <laughs> what's, song. What's crazy is the Band on the Run was only on the top of the charts for a week. 
But the streak was there for three weeks prior. America was streaking crazy in early 1974. This is not a case where the song is so indelible that it propels the fad. This is the case where the fad is such a big deal that even a song like The Streak can keep Band on the Run, a beautiful little mini symphony off the out of the number one spot. I have never done this, gone and looked at the number one songs for a year. Is that true? This is about this is what I spent my childhood doing. 1974, Time in a Bottle. Starts off, then the Joker by the Steve Miller band. You're 16, the the extremely problematic Ringo Starr song. The rest of the show is going to be you turning into a Billboard nerd. (laughs) The way we were, and then Seasons in the Sun, Sunshine on My Shoulders, Benny and the Jets. I really wish it was a John Denver or an Elton John song. I mean, I feel that would explain me if it was if it was a John Denver song, for Uh, example. You know. my birthday in 1974, when I was already... Am I six years older than you? Apparently so. That seems incredible. Wait a minute. Are you 45? Five and a half years older, because I was born in May. Yeah. God, that's that accounts for a lot of my greater sophistication and worldliness. And more tendency toward three's company metaphors instead of <laughs> family ties ones. But when I was five and a half on my birthday that year, I shot the sheriff. was <laughs> <as> the single. <laughs> That's so good. Anyway, so were you, did streaking, uh, did, this, did the song streaking? Yes, I was naked when, do, when I was born. It does not seem like that had a shaping influence on you. Well, I uh, later became famous for my streak on the television quiz Man, show Jeopardy. God, you're so just I think, really awful. I think there is something of the streak in me. <laughs> but it's true yeah, that, it's a yellow streak. But not the oh, <laughs> oh dog. But not you're right. Not the nudity angle. I did not come from an. Are you, you're not from a naked family, right? No, no, no. no. Uh, uh, you seem almost like a never nude. Are you like a <laughs> never nude? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Even when I streak, I wear sweatpants and a hoodie, and I call it jogging. <laughs> no, you know, my dad was a was a uh, greatest generation, right? He's he was born in twenty one. So. Were they, any of those nakeds? They were Maybe not, in Europe they were. There were no hippies in my... My hippies were my older brothers and sisters, and I didn't... They did. Oh, but I do have a naked... I do have a nudist story. My great... My... my what, what would it be? My first cousin once removed, who was a generation older, uh, she was a hippie. She actually... Her, she was married... The, the minister at her marriage ceremony uh, was Timothy Leary. Uh-huh. And she married like a, kind of famously married a priest. They were in Life magazine. It was like a whole, they were part of a whole hippie scene. And her kids, she had some rule in her house that kids under the age of eight had to be naked. And I remember she was a nut and not yeah, a they, good. They, they had that at uh, Neverland Ranch, yeah, I think. Not a, ooh, she was not a good mom either. But I remember going to her house at an age where I was self-conscious about nudity and being told to take off my clothes. Wow. And running around in the yard with a bunch of other naked kids. Was it freeing? And it was not. Because <laughs> halfway through this day, you know, I kind of got used to it. And it was like, I guess we're all naked, so I guess it's fine. You know, I don't know. I was seven. And uh, and so uh, so very aware. And then I looked up, and there was a neighbor kid who was watching us over the fence. <laughs> And I was so humiliated. I ran into the house and ran into a closet, I think, and just hid in the closet until the nightmare was over. So you, do you believe, 
are all naked families like kind of a post counterculture thing? I mean, maybe not in. I mean, Europe has sauna culture, and the Japanese well, are always bathing with their kids, right? Yeah, it's, nudism isn't a bit is more accepted in Germanic countries. Like places where it has not been sexualized so much. Like maybe it doesn't have to be a, well, or a the counterculture. Other, or the other way around. It hasn't it didn't hasn't been become, sexualized enough. No, it didn't become <laughs> desexualized, right? Or I mean I I guess if you're if you're if you're a family of eight people all sleeping in a one room house, you can't be that precious about it. But at the same time, I don't know. It feels like nudity is fine if you're under ten or over forty, but if you're a thirteen year old there's no, I don't, I can't imagine. And yet that's the only really time American society is really all into naked boys hanging out together. Like when they're 13. Oh, yeah, like that's when you start showering and in right, right. middle school and high school. Cause you smell. Oh, I thought you meant you're going down the Mississippi on a raft. Well, that too. There's less of that today. Yeah. There is that enforced nudity that happens in junior high where they're like, you have to shower after gym class because you're hormonal and you stink. And my memory is there was never even any kind of like, hey, look, we know you don't want to be naked. That's normal. Uh, this is just how it works. So really, it's just like everybody uh, everybody hop in. It was cracking the whip on me and I had never been, you know, I was a shy kid. Like I didn't let my parents in the bathroom after I was, you know, if I was in there after sure. I was seven or eight. I feel right? like that's not, that's normal in our in our but, culture. But all of a sudden I'm 12 and I'm like in a in a gym shower. It was awful. And you know, in my school, if you didn't shower, you couldn't get an A in the class. And the coach would stand in the shower and say repeatedly, shower down to get an A, shower down, shower down to get an A. I like how it's, you can still do the impression. It's really deep in your metabolism. And I didn't want to shower down. I did not want to get an A. I did not get an A. You, what was the highest grade you could get without showering? A B plus. Not a B plus. I don't think. No. Like I think. I think. I think. Was he, he was, rating your showering? He was like, "You're showering not so great. That's a B plus." He was forced, I think, to give you a B, but he didn't want to. And I don't think I ever got better than a C in gym. Oh, that's funny. I'm I'm a non-athletic kid who always got an A because they were like, "Look at him trying out there." I didn't try. <laughs> oh, there. Well, there you go. I, th- I think we figured it out. <laughs> I pouted. It's, it's not that different from any other class. <laughs> no, I sat in the corner sulking like I did throughout school. I had European friends who came from like naked families that so were like comfortable naked. Yeah, just uh, that that was kind of default status at home. But I don't know. It felt always like Europeans were rubbing our noses in that, like Canadians do with healthcare. Not literally, I hope. Yes, you Americans, you are so repressed. Oh, you're so repressed. Why don't you walk around naked like we do in France, like the Canadians say? <laughs> Why don't you get free healthcare like we do in, in Quebec? <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm from Alberta, but I cannot stop. Maybe if I was some from some place where I, me and my parents had always been naked together a lot, I would know the upside. But it, it, from my point of view, it, it seems hard to see the upside of knowing a lot of details of your parents, middle-aged parents' naked bodies. Or your siblings, or your friends, or your friends' parents. Like none, I mean, I'm not a never nude. Get me naked as far as I'm concerned, but not around other people. Get me naked, you're always saying. Get me naked is my t-shirt that I'm having made. (laughs) But you never wear because you're always naked. No, I have it on. It's just under seven other coats. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I don't. That is a, I I once walked, uh, uh, what what is, 
so I was walking across Europe at one point. We've heard. <laughs> and, I, uh, and I walked out of uh, Vienna and was walking along the Danube. And at some point, I started to see naked people. Mm. You know, there are people all around. But then all of a sudden, there's a naked person and then another one and then another one. And pretty soon, I'm on a stretch of this bike trail along the Danube, which was understood to be the naked beach. And it's a river does, beach. Yeah, does the Danube need a nude beach? More like the Danube. Ugh. Am I right? You aren't. <laughs> but for uh, for at least a mile, maybe two, it was a crowded, naked beach. But but not like a... I always think of nude beaches as some, somewhat sequestered sure, behind a fence secluded, or whatever. Yeah. This is just like, well, I was on the bike trail. I'm trying to get to the other end, you know, uh, and uh, I got to go through here. But it was funny. At first, I was scandalized. And then after about 10 minutes, it became somewhat normal. And then after 20 minutes, I started to feel like, what's the big deal? Why was I? And, you know, after a half an hour of like waving and tipping my hat to naked people, I was like, nakedness is normal. Look at them. They're just normal. So you and I are the weird ones. It would would just take us a couple hours. I think. And we would become... Nakeds? By the time I was out the other side, I was like, why isn't everybody naked? It's a hot day. I mean, it's not like I took off my clothes, but but it seemed it stopped being scandalous or even titillating and became just sort of like, oh, yeah. And did it seem more comfortable? Was that the issue? No. Like it is too hot for me to wear all these clothes. No. I don't think that the difference between having a swimsuit on and no swimsuit on is one time I was with a friend, we were swimming in the in the ocean in the Caribbean, and he took off his swimsuit. And then he was swimming naked. And he I think you need to get a trusted grown-up. He dove down to pick up a conch shell off the bottom of the ocean or whatever. And I and I noticed like, oh wait a minute, he's naked. And then we swam around for a while and I started to feel dumb because he was naked and in the ocean, and I was like in a swimsuit. So I took off my swimsuit. It seems like you're very prone to nudity. Well, and then we swam around naked and it was nice. In all these stories, it takes you maybe 20 minutes to be like, oh, I'm the weirdo. But then why do know, I have underpants? Like I didn't want a turtle or something to bite my wee wee. Like, you know, I, I, I didn't. That's perfectly normal. So it wasn't me. Let me validate like, you. Okay. We, no, none of us wants a turtle to bite our wee wee. Okay. okay. Thanks. Uh, but my kids, you know, in Seattle, in Seattle, you see some, so there's nude bike riding. Only on the solstice. Well, I've seen, I think there might be other, I think when it's warm here, there are parts of certain beaches that kind of become clothing optional. I think there's north part of Golden Gardens. There's and, that beach that, we used to have that naked beach over in, off of Capitol Hill, but it turned into a creep beach. Yes. Did, were you, did, did you, do you remember when it I, was a nice naked beach and then turned into a creep beach? I, I was on neither side of the, oh. the battle, but I, I've heard. Yeah. In the early 90s, it was great. You could go down there and do whatever you wanted and nobody could see you. And then the creeps started to come around. Well, I mean, that's going to be a problem if you're a naked. Yeah. Is that you're in a world that is mostly made of, of clothes. Right. Who are going to be not irrationally uh, interested in your nudity. I mean, they should they shouldn't be creeps about it. They should leave you alone. But hey, they're interested. You're the one outside with no pants on. That's right. I uh, mean, the creep beach was small enough that I mean, what the creeps did was they just came and sat up on the in the corner in the tall grass and just sat there. 
it's not like they did anything. When I was in Belize earlier this year, there was somewhere I saw a sign that was like clothing optional beach, no staring or gawking. And I literally couldn't tell if it was, it, it was like on a, one of these beachfront bars. And I literally couldn't tell if it was, um, an actual kind of sex positive best practices sign or if it was one of these funny, oh, funny beach signs, a joke that you would that dad would put in his man cave. Yeah, exactly. You know, oh. like uh, you know, like the funny signs that are like, no, no working during drinking hours. Ha ha. Right. You know, notice our pee doesn't have any pool in it. I literally saw a notice our ool sign in Belize, and I had never. I don't think I'd ever seen one in the wild. Oh, really? Yeah, was, a hotel actually had a welcome to our ool sign. <laughs> So, um, but no, I, I was with the kids at Gasworks Park, I don't know, last summer and we climbed up to the sundial and there's just a bunch of nakeds with their bikes just hanging out on the sundial. I think that, that, uh, it was not solstice. I think that there's uh, strength in numbers. If you're a naked, if that's it was true. one naked person up there, you'd be like, put that, your clothes on. That's when the cops come. Right. But if it's like a bunch of naked, if there's like, eight, oh, I guess there's a thing happening. The cops it's, don't even, yeah, exactly. It's like Stonehenge. And this is, comes in to our story of, of America's brief fascination with streaking is that there is strength in numbers. There must be something in us that wants to do this, but if it's just one, we're not going to do it. But if a buddy dares us, or if all of us on the floor of our dorm do it, that's a whole different ballgame. Um, just to get back to Ray Stevens, the reason why I mentioned him is because he took advantage of the streaking fad with his big, big hit, but he's an unusual character because at the same time as he's recording these kind of a goofy, these goofy novelty songs, you know, because he's a, he's a Southerner. He's also singing these very sincere, I think everything is beautiful. Might've been a, won a Grammy, might've been a number one hit. Really? And it's, it's just some kind of Christian gospel. Do you know the song? Yeah, Everything little, is beautiful uh, absolutely. It was in the its type, own way. It was the type of thing that we, uh, I think we probably learned it on the recorder in <laughs> exactly. third grade, right? Like it, I want to teach the world to sing. Yeah, exactly. It that. starts with a, a children's choir singing Jesus Loves the Little Children or something. And then, you know, Ray comes in and sings this gospel so- song. And somehow he is maintaining both these careers at the same time, alternating these ultra sincere uh, Christian anthems with his goofy novelty work he won two grammys for everything is beautiful and misty oh yeah he had a cover of misty yeah uh, but he was you know he was working in the country vernacular which uh country does allow for both it does god you, and uh goofy jokes you can be a you can be corny and also sincere in country and and it doesn't alienate your fans there's not a lot of venn diagrams where god and corny jokes actually Overlap. Well, I thought you didn't want me to talk about organized religion. Oh. But no, you, it's true. You got the, the whole youth pastor overlap. Right. But country does allow for both. For sure. I mean, if you think about if you think about the sincere moments on Hee Haw. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, uh, it would be like today if Weird Al were also singing kind of sappy yeah. Jonas Brothers kinds of love songs. Right. And and he had two careers. Like he would put out an album of of uh, parodies, and then he would just do a series of um, you know butterfly kisses kinds of love songs. I feel like it, it, once you get your foot into the music business, at least at this point in time, um, you maybe throw everything at the wall and see what sticks. I, we've talked about C. W. McCall 
and his comedy hit Convoy. Uh, Convoy, and it turned out that the that the the genius behind it went on to form Mannheim Steamroller. So <laughs> ah, I forgot about that. He just liked big vehicles. Yeah, he liked semis and steamrollers. steamrollers. That was his. That, never was why, had, that was why he got into music. He never did a steamship or a cruise liner. Uh. He didn't. He wasn't a member of Jefferson Starship. Oh, he, he could have kept getting bigger and bigger. As far as we know, he wasn't. Maybe he was. A lot of people in that band I didn't recognize. John, do you remember the Daily Deal site mehmeh.com that has come up on Omnibus before? Absolutely. Uh, although I pronounce it meh, not meh, whatever you said. You I, sound, I think I said meh. You sounded like a like a sick sheep. That's how you pronounce the name meh. of their site. No, meh. They're the ones that bought the giant styrofoam version of my head. Oh, of course. That's that's uh, like languishing in a warehouse somewhere. The Ark of the Covenant style. Uh, and this week, we're working with meh again. I'm not going to get my head meh. back. Meh. Not meh. What? You keep saying vowels I'm not even saying. <laughs> Don't say meh, Ken. <laughs> say meh. You're, you're, you're saying meh, except with like a, some kind of like uh, accent aigu. You're gaslighting me. All right. Go ahead. Uh, we're working with them this month to see which of us, you or I, have the best personal story. So this is a little competition. Oh. It's not just an ad. It's a. It's now a storytelling competition. It's a competition which I will win. It's a poetry slam. You are famous for your storytelling <laughs> abilities. But here's the thing. You don't get to decide if you win. It's going to be up to the listeners. Because oh. if they go to meh.com slash omnibus and they buy something this month, then they can use either the code Ken if they liked my story, which... Hmm which I will tell uh, on Thursday's show, or they'll enter John if they enjoy the story you're about to tell right now, and they get $5 off their purchase, and Meh will keep track. Meh will, meh will keep track of who has received the most coins in their tip jar. I see. Your story or my story. So I'm going to tell a story this week. No, you're going to tell a story today. I'm going to um, tell a story on Thursday. I see. I'm going to tell a story today. You're going to tell a story on Thursday. People are going to go to meh.com. Meh. And they're not meh. Meh. Not meh, John. It's meh. <laughs> and they're going, well, and for, the first thing people should vote on is who is pronouncing meh correctly. <laughs> but then they're going to enter either Ken or John into the code. As their little coupon code I see. at and, checkout. And then at the end, it's going to tally and we're going to learn who... People's, which story people prefer. Yes, in a month, we will be able to announce whether your story or my story won in terms of absolute meh usership. Now, is meh trying to di- trying to divide and conquer the Omnibus Project? Yeah, because that's their goal. We've never really been in competition before, except for this constant competition for who's more woke that I, you keep introducing into the show. I think all two-person podcasts are a kind of competition. Oh, I see. Who, who's going to get the good line? But now my question, my further question is, do you and I, does the winner of the contest actually get a prize? No, we get nothing. So, <laughs> I we, see. We get Matt to buy ads at our regular rates. Oh, uh, Thanks, Matt. Yeah, and thanks, they already Matt. bought the big styrofoam head. Right. So that, I feel like that, I have a little bit of a lead one already. One more thing that does not benefit me at all. <laughs> but this is a situation where people who, who think of themselves as Ken people are going to vote for Ken. If they like the story. 
Well, it's, it's not a stand-in for absolute loyalty. I mean, do you think that's, it is? That's kind of how people work, isn't it? Like, uh, you know, maybe John's story was better, but I like Ken. So yeah, I've I'm heard you. I've Ken. heard you tell stories, and really, you're getting by on a lot of personality. Yeah, right. This is not a great story, but hey, hey, hey <laughs> here's my John confidence <laughs> and Bono me. Uh, so yes, you'll get all those votes, I think. And next okay. month we'll announce who won. Oh, okay. who, who got the most map purchases and try another round. Okay. All right. Sure. So, so it's just now we're just telling a story. Tell it, tell no a, theme. Tell a brief story of any kind. Hmm. A brief story of any kind. Uh, let's see. Uh, when I was a kid, uh, we would go to the zoo here, the Woodland Park Zoo. Love it. And there was a, a little narrow gauge railway that went around the... In, inside the zoo, there was a little, you know, a, a kind of park, a little amusement park. That takes me back. And then this railway went out from the the sort of gated amusement park area and around the the zoo. Remember this? Mm-hmm. And it was a wonderful little sort of Knott's Berry Farm sort of half-scale um, railway. And as a kid, I was fascinated by it. But at a certain point around... Eight, seven or eight years old, it was no longer enough for me just to ride the train passively like a like a little tourist. We went to the zoo all the time, and I started to feel kind of proprietary about it. About your train. About my train, and I wasn't just going to ride in it like some kid on a field trip. And so one visit to the zoo, I asked my mother if I could borrow her handkerchief, and my, mother, my mom's always carried a handkerchief. And I tied it around my face like a bandit's... Uh, hanky, and then waited in the bushes for the train to go by <laughs> and jumped out of the bushes, ran along behind it, and jumped up on the back and rode the and like basically hooky bobbed on the back of the train, pretending to be a you know cowboy outlaw. Yeah, and uh, I had a wonderful time, and the people that were on the train thought it was funny. And so after that, every time I went to the zoo, I would bring a cap gun and a handkerchief. And rather than go to the zoo and see the animals, rather than, than go to the arcade and try and pop balloons, I would just lurk in the bushes waiting for the train to go by, run after it, jump up with my cap gun and say, this is a stick up and then ride the train. And I did that until the zoo uh, had to like put, put restrictions on, um, you know, they had, they had to post a guy on the train and also had to like... Uh, a special zoo Pinkerton sort of, sort of fence off the the bushes. They had they instituted all these because you know other kids got into it. It became a it became like a thing, and and I ended up making it a thing I did whenever I visited amusement parks. So at at uh, the Nut Tree in, in outside of Sacramento and at Knott's Berry Farm, where they actually had adults doing that. I would always run after the train. It was the only thing I liked about amusement parks after a while. It was holding up the train. It was holding up the train. Uh, So we learned from this story never to encourage you in any of your antics, or you will just run whatever it is into the ground. (laughs) I love that your story is about riding the rails. This is a very formative young John Roderick story. It was one of the first, you know, because they keep the train. It was was going at a clip. I had to run. But uh, but it wasn't so fast that I couldn't catch it. If you're confident that John's story will defeat mine, you can go to med.com slash omnibus and use code John to get $5 off your purchase. I'm sure my story is going to be the victor, you know, compared to whatever your story about doing crossword puzzles or Sudoku or whatever. If not, if you want to wait till Thursday and hear my story, then you can go to med.com slash omnibus and use code Ken. Either way, you'll save $5. But don't forget to do your civic duty. 
Please vote. That's right. Please vote by buying something at meh.com and then entering John in the code. Meh.com slash omnibus. Not meh. 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 The Streak is Stevens' biggest hit. Are you familiar with The Streak? It's, yeah. It's oh, a, I remember it on the radio. Uh, Stevens does all the voices. He's a... He's a, a news commentator who shows up at a supermarket and then a gas station and then a sports event because someone has just streaked the premises. And he also, somehow he's able to interview, he also plays all the people that are getting interviewed, including there's always kind of a bewildered yokel who's trying to get his, his wife not to look at the streaker. He's always saying, don't look, Ethel. Don't look, Ethel. Like he thinks his wife will be besmirched in some way. Well, I'm here to tell you, you get desensitized to streakers and then pretty soon... You're like, why do I have my swimsuit on? And that so, might have happened to Ethel, too. Well, Ethel apparently is in all three locales. Oh, yeah. I mean, at the end, where a college basketball game is is struck, it's not clear what the past tense is. Stricken? Streaked. <laughs> is streaked. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's a normal place to streak. I'm not sure why you would streak a, a filling station, for example, or oh, a produce aisle. I think what happened is someone was streaking. It was a long-distance streak, and the filling station was just in. No? Impossible. Impossible. How could Ethel be in all three locations? Oh, I see. These these must have been hours apart. Maybe the person was streaking Ethel. Maybe there are three people <laughs> named Ethel, each of which has a has a concerned husband. Right. Um, the the funny thing about the streaking fad, because I think you look back at a fad and you're like, boy, nothing sums up the '70s like pet rocks or streaking or, but like all fads, it was very short lived. Is that right? Yeah, there was maybe six months where streaking was the thing. People were streaking at sports events. Yes. Um, and, I mean, it was mostly, as you probably know, a college campus phenomenon. Right. And it dates back to earlier kind of nude campus shenanigans, which in this country go back to the 19th century. Um, Mooning? That came later. <laughs> what are some nude campus shenanigans, and why didn't I go to that college? Uh, you should have gone to, to nude campus. You, <laughs> their team it's is online now. Their team is called the Shenanigans. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, it's a, you know, there will be a time of year when we all get drunk and run naked to the statue of, oh. of Thomas Paine or, uh, on January 1st, we all jump naked into the Rappahannock. It, it's that kind of, I see. and at times when, in a time when college campuses were not co-educational, because only men got education, sure. there was not even any worry about sexualizing it. This was just... Well, now, wait a minute. That's a little normie. Well, <laughs> so, you know, you can you can play it off as, what a good time we're oh, all having. Right, right. Um, but given what we now know, there's got to be some kind of homoerotic sure. element Shower to... Shower down to get an A. To all... <laughs> Do you think that's the secret origin of all these traditions, <laughs> is like the three uh, closeted kids in the class are like, hey guys, here's what would be hilarious. <laughs> no, I think it's the gym teacher every time. All right now, everyone, line up. I'm going to give you an A, if you know what I mean. Well, I have to confess, uh, I went to uh, Gonzaga University for a couple of years. Not in the 70s. In the mid-80s, but Gonzaga in the mid-80s was like other places in the 70s. It was still trapped in time. And we, I, I went streaking. So there were still, were they, was it semi-organized? Yes. New fun runs? Or was it, it just you no, uh, it was, ha having a, too, a few too many beers? It was like late, not even that late, but like at night, someone came through the dorms and was like, everyone at, you know, 11 o'clock, we're all streaking over to the 
I don't remember what, the library or something. And nobody said, that ended in early 1974. No, because one of the things about the 1980s is that we were all weirdly nostalgic for what seemed like a really fun time that had just come to an end. Right. Right. By 1985, you know, AIDS had made sex not fun and Reagan had made drugs not fun. And, but we could, we could all just barely sort of almost put your hands on the fact that like you could find old copies of the lampoon. Yeah. Like animal house just happened. And why did we miss it? So there was, there was still some of that, like maybe we can recapture the glory days if we just have a kegger and, and go on a panty raid. It's a little bit illusory. This idea that there was a a golden age of streaking. I mean, Obviously, back to the early 1800s, you've got campus fun runs, but the it really, like so many things, it was an effect of global warming. Huh? The winter of 1983, 1973 into this into 1974 was unseasonably warm. Huh. Um, at southern campuses, it was there were days in the 80 degree uh, hitting the 80 degree mark in March. Um, and this was a phenomenon that largely came from the South uh, at universities like Memphis State or the University of Georgia. Right. Um, it would start out with uh, – at Memphis State, I think it was a, you know, a quarterback and a buddy doing it. And then it would, you know, hiding in some bushes, running out across the lawn to, to uh, you know, shock a girl's dorm or whatever and then peeling out. And then it starts to catch on. Uh, the word streaking was apparently first used – by a reporter at the University of Maryland watching a little fun run and noticing how fast they all streaked by when they, you know, when they, uh, uh-huh. <laughs> they, they were not eager to spend too much time in one place. And so oddly, this came out of the, the South, a part of the country we, we might think of as, this is it Bernie. It was Bernie. I, I once again, <laughs> I, was, I am once again asking you to interrupt your podcast hey, and make I, I, me a small donation. No, I was trying to. Uh, I was trying to watch the video of a streaker. Of course, you were. But uh, but Bernie had an ad on there. <laughs> <laughs> Keep your perversions to yourself, John. You can try to find. I mean, and this is obviously the reason why the media becomes attached to this thing sure. is um, maybe they could you could see a. You could put some bare bottoms in Newsweek magazine. Sure. Young young people streaking around. Who wouldn't want that in, in Newsweek? Uh, so it starts, the scale of it starts to grow. You know, uh, if, a, if a couple hundred people do it at Memphis State, then a thousand people are going to try to do it at the University of Georgia. They, for one thing, there's strength in numbers, as we've said. Right. And also it becomes more of a more of a happening. Sure. If it, there's just a crowd of flesh. Only so many uh, co-eds can sit on top of a flagpole, but thousands of them can run around naked. There were maybe fewer co-eds than we're thinking. You know, mm. we like to imagine this as a equal opportunity activity. But it was mostly dudes. It was kind of a sausage fest, I think. <laughs> like that's my analysis of, of uh, looking at photos. There are accounts of uh, women streaking, but often it's, problematic because they're getting they're getting harassed oh i thought you were going to say it was like sponsored by a local bar like a wet t-shirt contest (laughs) ladies night (laughs) no sadly they're getting pinched if you do do you remember a time when pinching was both a kind of harmless seeming form of sexual harassment and also a comic punchline you know like the secretary straightens up at her desk when the lascivious 
boss goes by. Yeah, and like a comic in Playboy magazine where, yeah, it's like, oh, Mr. Johnson, you know, but yeah, or like a stewardess would get pinched, but, sure. But what a weird come on. Pinch. Let me just pinch someone's buttocks and then they'll know of my interest. Yeah. No, not, one, no one wants to get, uh, even if it wasn't sexual harassment, which it is, nobody wants to get pinched. You know, my mom was a waitress in, this, in the 1950s and it's why she, to this day, hates Shriners. They're pinchers? They're pinchers. They pinch waitresses, Shriners, apparently. <laughs> it's the one thing I know about them. <laughs> I mean, the little hats and the little cars and the little fingers. For for most of my life, I hated Shriners because they pinched my mom. And then uh, then people started wearing fezes uh, as part of like the celebration of nerdiness. And all of a sudden, I was sh- surrounded by Shriner fezes. And I, I had to make peace with it. I like how your mom hates Napoleon and Shriners. Yeah, basically. No, the list is longer than that. We just haven't covered the, all the topics. So... Streaking catches on as a campus fad, and there hasn't been a good campus fad in a while, right? I mean, Well, yeah, Vietnam made all campus fads seem dumb. That was the problem. Yeah. You know, we think of campus fads as kind of a 20s phenomenon, all the raccoon coats and the goldfish swallowing and the flagpole sitting and whatnot. Right. Um, then the campus fad for a while was protesting the war. <laughs> so if you read contemporary reports of streaking, I mean, there's, there's always some uh, kind of... Uh, blue hairs writing into the paper complaining about the declining standards. But really, for the most part, people kind of seem delighted by all this public nudity. Yeah, sure. Like, finally, the kids are back to having fun. That's exactly it. Really? It's like, look at, you know, they're not threatening to burn down the administration building anymore. (laughs) (laughs) They're just running around naked. That reminds... Doesn't that remind you of the kind of shenanigans we used to do, Karen? Yeah. You know, I think there really was that kind of a... So people are very... Uh, they seem kind of charmed by the streakers. I wonder what the... What uh, what fad... What nakedness fad is going to finally tame the millennials in boomer eyes? <laughs> <laughs> What's going to be the thing where the boomers are finally like, oh my God, they relaxed. Uh, yeah, so millennials, it's time to think of something fun to do naked. Yeah. Some nude pickleball or something. Yeah, nude pickleball. And nude, that, nude Mesoamerican ball game. And that will end. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Any game can be a ball game if you're nude enough. That'll be the thing that ends okay, boomer. Um, but uh, the streaking becomes kind of increasingly, you know, in order to get attention, once every, if, if everybody's streaking, nobody is, basically, you know, uh, so once there are big groups of nakeds running around college campuses, it becomes very important to try new novel forms of streaking if you want to get in the paper. So, uh, for example, a nude student skydives, parachutes onto the University of Georgia campus. Right. A- add the third axis, very clever, add the z-axis uh-huh. to your streaking. That's right. Three dimensions. Um, somebody streaks a Pan Am jet between New York City and London. What? You streak a jet? How would I mean, you? How would you do it? Then you just you, you like walk up the aisle once, and then you just have to sit in your chair, or do you put your pants back on? I think I think it happened like this: head to the head to the can in the back, disrobe, streak up to first class, and then streak back. Because you kind of have to be running for it to qualify as a streak. A huge part of streaking is the speed, and I think that's not an accident. I, I read interviews with people who got into streaking, and. None of them find it all that titillating or even revealing in a way because it's often done at night. It's often done in a group. 
And you're running. And you're running. So you're a you're a blur. I mean, you're clearly naked and people are going to have to see things they don't want to see, but they're not going to associate your face or identity with it. Right. Right? Um, the, the speed is, is essential. Uh, often they would wear socks and running shoes and nothing else. Wait, I have another streaking story. You have two streaking stories? One time in, in like in the Palouse, I was down there with a group of people in the middle of the night. Explain the Palouse, by the way, the to Palouse the The Palouse is the, is the kind of farming area of southeastern Washington that's like big rolling hills, very fertile ground. You may remember it from our episode on Lake whatever it was, right? Yeah, that's right. Lake Missoula. Missoula. Uh, but we all, uh, and who knows what we were under the influence of, but we all took all our clothes off and ran through freshly plowed fields, and it was extremely liberating. Uh, you can run really fast when you're naked. That's what I remembered. I think it feels like if you've taken whatever you've taken and you've had the nighttime breeze on you, I think you feel like you're going very fast. Oh, we felt like we were running so fast, so much faster. Do you think you actually were? It was, well... Do you think it's the weight of a, of a polo shirt and, and Levi's that's been holding you back? What it was was Mercury and Saturn <laughs> were pulling me... <laughs> Through the field. <laughs> through the Palouse. It really did. I mean, I think it's probably like the moon illusion. It just seemed like we were running fast. Well, there's two things happening. You're feeling breeze on parts of your body that don't normally feel breeze, and you're getting more more jiggling. There is from, more jiggling. From, from parts of your body that kind of, you feel like you're, uh, the kind of jiggling you would feel if you were running at 100 miles an hour with clothes on. Right. Happens probably at a much lower speed <laughs> when everything's hanging the out. The jiggle threshold. <laughs> it's much lower. So there's a couple things making you feel like you're running. Um, some other headlines uh, in Anchorage, people streaked in minus eight degree weather. Yep. Did in you, fact, did you see I've, a lot of Alaska streaks? Oh my God, I've got a story about that too. You have, th- you have a third streaking a three, story. The third streaking story. But this was, we were all in a hot tub and it was whatever, 10 below. And we jumped out of the hot tub and ran naked across a snowy field and then threw ourselves down in the snow. And rolled around until our skin was burning and then ran back and jumped back in the hot tub. tub and then we were burning. It's double burn. So this is the kind of the polar bear club yeah. kind of, uh, yeah. Actually, I have, four, I have a fourth story. I didn't realize I was such a streaker. Anyway, go on. I like how you started this episode <laughs> not being a naked and you've got four stories, not including the Danube. It's four with an asterisk. If we're counting Gonzaga, the Palouse. The hot tub, and what's the fourth one? It was a sauna. It was a similar kind of like run out of the sauna, except we ran down to the end of the dock and jumped in the lake. It's interesting that streaking came out of the balmy south, but it seems like uh, if you had had your way... It's a very northern thing. Yeah, you could have it spread from, you know, it's like the Finns with their sauna culture. Yeah. Some other novel streaks that made the headlines at Carleton College, uh, again, the north, Minnesota, production of Measure for Measure, somebody streaked the curtain call. Right on. Very disrespectful to the actors. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing one of the minor comedies. We want nudity. Uh, a city bus in Atlanta, Georgia. A bunch of streakers streaked the bus. The dri- inside the bus or inside, outside? Inside the bus. Oh, see. The driver was later asked, were they men or women? And he said, I don't know. They were wearing masks. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. That's like a Yogi Berraism. <laughs> That's right. There were occasional arrests at the University of Missouri. One engineering student was uh, charged with indecent exposure with intent to streak. Oh, 
he hadn't yet gotten up to speed. Well, he was apparently, yeah, he was exposing, but not yet streaking. Streaking apparently requiring a certain velocity. Well, that's the thing, right? If you just take your clothes off and stand there, you're, you're, you're a flasher. You're a creepo, yeah. But if you're running... Well, it seems like then you shouldn't say with intent to streak. He was about to, he was about to ameliorate the crime. Right. They stopped him before he could lessen the sentence by being in motion, by, by blurring the offending uh, images. Right. They caught him before he flushed the weed down the, the, down the can. <laughs> with intent to flush... <laughs> I guess that's the thing. He's trying to hide evidence of his crime. By just, running. Just like somebody destroying their stash. Yeah. Running from his nudity. <laughs> but you can't run from your nudity, no. John. Your nudity, your nudity <laughs> follows you. It's the one thing you can never get rid of. Even uh, Nixon, it sank into the po- popular culture to such a degree that on March 7th, an embattled Richard Nixon was asked if the Watergate scandal had uh, started graying his hair. Because as with many presidents, his temples were noticeably grayer. Right. And Nixon said, oh, no, 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 that's not graying. They call that streaking. And he, oh. got, a, he got a big laugh. Oh, he's a comedian, that for, Nixon. For his uh, <laughs> topical humor. Yeah, not famous for his quick, his quick wit, but that's not bad. No, it's all right. It's a Ken Jennings level. <laughs> it's kind of debate zinger level, but clearly he couldn't have been prepped. Right. Mr. President, if they ask him, like John, like Haldeman's not like, sir, if they ask you about your temples. I, I've, I've taken the liberty of writing some streaking jokes. I've got the gag. <laughs> uh, on uh, and Ray Stevens had the very good luck of already having this song in the can as this is unfolding. He had well, what? He wrote it in advance of the fad. <laughs> yeah, and then he paid off some students. He is from Georgia. No, like in, when the fad was in its very early days, he had recorded this song, and then by the time fifteen copycat songs came out, he, his record was already being pressed and yeah. so his song was rushed out and uh, it happened to come out just like i think two weeks after the night of april 2nd 1974 that which was fateful night that fateful night we all know as we study streaking history uh when robert opal made his imprint on history do you know who robert opal is no uh come with me now if you will to the dorothy chandler pavilion oh i've been there in los angeles yeah. the uh, academy awards are being given out the 40 what would that have been? The 45th Annual Academy Awards? Anyway, spring 1974. Um, Elizabeth Taylor is about to give the Best Picture Award. This out. was the heyday of, of uh, the Oscars for me. Can you imagine? Anytime you got Elizabeth Taylor. All and- those wide lapels and all <laughs> yeah. those still living. They're all alive. Still living 40 stars kind of creaking up there. Lucille Ball is there and Clark Gable is there. Uh, no, Clark Gable was in fact dead. But Clark Cable was dead there. in 1974? Clark Cable died young. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm so sad. That's a bit of a bummer. This story I'm about to tell is a bit of a bummer also. I just want to warn you that this story is fun until it isn't. Uh-oh. Okay. So, you know, because right. we've, we've had some fun so far, but I don't want to leave out the sad ending of this story. Can I laugh halfway through or do yeah, I have to maintain we're gonna, it? We're going to have a good time until okay. Okay. And I'm going to give you a sign. What kind of signal should I give you? Just, uh, well, I, nothing, I'm going to take off my clothes. No, nothing lascivious. <laughs> don't wink at me. The whole, this whole okay. show is making I'm going to clink on my glass okay. at the moment when the story is about to, to take a sad turn. Good, good, good. But for the moment, it's not sad. Uh, Elizabeth Taylor is about to give the best picture statuette to The Sting, as it turns out. Uh-huh. A, a long, sideburned, b- wide-lapelled look at the Depression. <laughs> such, a, such a wonderful film. Still a classic. <laughs> I just watched it with my kids the other night, and it kind of holds up, Yeah, it does. actually. It does. Well, Paul Newman, always charming, and Robert Redford, always charming. They're fantastic. Like, I... Uh, yeah, I don't want to... 
Don't, don't, don't. Spoiler alerts. <laughs> well, I was just going to like reveal maybe a little too much about my sexuality when oh, it comes to Paul Newman and Robert Redford. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, you also don't want to spoil the ending of this thing. It predates the, that kind of surprise ending of a heist or con movie. Right. And so I'm sure the reason why it wins Best Picture is audiences are just flabbergasted by that ending, which today you would see in any Oceans movie. Yeah, they got, they got M. Night Shyamalamalammed. <laughs> they, they did. <laughs> they were pre-Shyamaland. Uh, and, uh, Elizabeth Taylor is being introduced. You know how on the Oscars, someone has to introduce the person who's going to introduce sure. the person. Elizabeth Taylor doesn't just walk out on a stage. No, she needs David Niven to introduce oh, her. Oh, the great David Niven. Uh, kind of the last, uh, dapper British man of his era. The, we probably talked about him in the Gentleman Jewel Thief episode when That's we were right. talking about the Barefoot Bandit because he was the Jewel Thief in, uh, the Pink Panther movies. He sure was. He was also, uh, he was also James Bond at one point. Uh, yeah. The, the. Parody, right? Peter Sellers, yeah, and Phileas Fogg and Around the World in Eighty Days. I like Separate Tables very much. I like his work with Michael Powell in the forties. You got to see Stairway to Heaven. I see him often in my war movie podcast, Friendly Fire, because he uh, he appears. We just watched uh, the Guns of Navarone. Yes, he's in the Guns of Navarone. Yeah. How did you guys take two years to get to the Guns of Navarone? Well, it's because, the ultimate uh, dad war movie. Because we pick movies randomly. Oh. We have a hundred and twenty sided die, which I have right here. <gasps> I didn't. I, I didn't realize the selection process. And we, although we have over 200 movies on our list, I roll the die. Here's the, the, the cra- The crazy thing is you do it at the beginning of each show. You don't know what, <laughs> you don't know what movie's going to come we haven't seen until movie. you're recording. No, at the end of every show, I roll the die and we pick the next movie from a list. And it's, you know, it's why, it's why, it's why the show didn't, the first six months wasn't all the greatest films. And then we spent the next That's smart. seven years just watching all the all those weird um, Dutch productions of uh, like Norsemen, like basically <laughs> white supremacist porn movies that that have war themes. I would like you to watch some of the uh, the Powell and Pressburger World War II movie, British movies of the forties, okay, which are weird and fantastic. And one of them has David Niven as a fighter pilot who dies in the first minute, but or does he? Oh. Uh, anyway, uh, so David Niven comes out to introduce Elizabeth Taylor, who will introduce the sting. I bet his tuxedo was exquisite. <laughs> yes. The lapel stretched from set to, from here to Santa Monica. And uh, he's giving a very long-winded, like you realize the Oscars are long today, but he just talks forever. Uh, and while he's about a minute into this long speech about the transformative power that the magic of cinema can have in our lives. This is in by way of introducing Liz Taylor. Liz Taylor, yeah. Well, you know, everybody was drunk then, too. <laughs> yeah, That's the right. other thing. <laughs> like, I'm sure it was supposed to be Elliot Gould, but he couldn't get on stage. He fell down. Uh, behind him suddenly appears a nude, uh, uh, kind of a hairy nude man running toward Niven and to the left, if this, oh. is, if this is the Zapruder film. He's coming toward us. And to the left. And really? And do you not remember this? No, well, I wasn't. I don't think in 74 I was watching the Oscars. And Niven quit. Well, I certainly wasn't. I wouldn't be born for uh, 51 days. Right. Uh, and Niven quips, uh, you know, the only, that was certainly that was bound to happen. But uh, how funny that the only laugh this, ever, this man will ever get in his life is showing off his shortcomings. Oh, so he's, oh, he he's, has talk about a wit rapier like wit <laughs> in the moment. Um, the, the streaker turned out to be when he was, when he gave his press conference after the event turned out to be Robert Opal, a former Reagan governor, Reagan speechwriter, uh-huh. who was at the time teaching ASL, uh, in the Los Angeles public schools. And I believe was fired for his, for his temerity at the Oscars. He had 
slashed through a brand new uh, cyclorama, you know, the big, the big um, screens, colored scrims. Oh yeah. Behind a stage that oh, gives sure. the illusion of a, of a color gradient in the sky or whatever. Some brand new scrim that I think had already been uh, rented for the following Friday. It cost a lot of money. Yeah, he just slashed right through it uh, naked and ran across the stage. Ro- uh, the business manager for the Oscars that year was a man named Robert Metzler, and he swore for decades that the thing had been faked, that it had all been set up by a producer who wanted an early example of what we would today call a viral moment. Really? Yes. So there's a conspiracy theory regarding the Oscars. So according to Metzler, he and his wife were outside the event, uh, and Niven asked for his Metzler's wife for a pen. David Niven did. And she gave him a pen, and he wrote down the shortcomings quip, which had just come to him. And this was two hours before showtime. Well, I mean, it's that. Uh, I can't imagine that Oman. What was his name? Robert uh, Robert Opal. Robert Opal would uh, would have agreed to have his um, have his physical self mocked by David Niven if he'd known if he'd known he was going to get burned. Well, you don't you don't tell the streaker he's going to get roasted. Oh, that's like a pretty Dude, bad roast. You got Niven. <laughs> if. And I, I kind of agree with the conspiracy theory because watching the live cover, you can see the clip on ABC or, or, or whoever was there. Oh, I, I framed by frame it, John. <laughs> the guys, uh, Opal's genitals are managed to stay just out of frame in his entire movie. And maybe I'm seeing a cropped version, the, uh, the sanitized cropped version, but it certainly looks like the camera angle has been chosen so that you can see that someone is streaking behind Niven, but you can't actually see anything oh, yeah, PG-13. Sure. So they didn't have to stop the the broadcast. It wasn't a thing where it got out, I, yeah, scandalized yeah, nothing. Could, it would have been live, and nothing would have been pixelized at the time. So uh, if, if I'm seeing what live TV viewers were seeing, it certainly looks like the director knew where to almost to it. the inch uh-huh. where Robert Opal and little Robert Opal were going to be. Mm-hmm. Um Opal later became a, a, a queer icon. He uh, moved to San Francisco. He actually ran for president in 1976. Oh, uh, using on the streaker platform? Yes. His slogan was, another crooked dick. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a Nixon pun. Yeah, you could so, you could get by, uh, like, zooming on Nixon for, for another 10 years after that. So maybe he did not mind the shortcomings pun. <laughs> he's really, he's kind of leaning into it, uh, or at least part of him is. Uh, in 1978, he actually opened a groundbreaking art gallery in San Francisco that announced that kind of introduced America to erotic art of, of uh, Robert Mapplethorpe and Tom of Finland. Oh, really? So he was kind of instrumental in the gay art movement of the late seventies. Um, tragically in 1978, Oh, sorry. Oh, no. Tragically in 1978, his gallery was held up Uh-oh. and armed intruders actually shot him. So oh, that's he, o- terrible. he only lived for four years after his, his Oscars prank. Oh, dear. Which is sad, and probably why there's not a whole lot of kind of fond, where are they now, reminiscences about this very funny moment, because right. it's got this tragic. sad, sad postscript. Yeah. Tragic, although hopefully unrelated ending. It was just a yes. it was just a heist gone wrong. Yes, yeah. uh, it had nothing to do. If he hadn't, I mean... As far as we know, it could have been, again, Haldeman. <laughs> unless it was a very angry Elizabeth Taylor, you know, sending her goons, sending out Larry Fortensky to show him what's what. And that concludes Streaking, entry 1234.RV1615. What's going on over there? 
Sorry, I'm opening mail. Certificate number 41916 in the omnibus. Futurelings, in the unlikely event that social media still exists in your era, Facebook and Instagram will censor any attempt to post streaking photos. Sounds like you have some experience here. It's gonna it's going to close your account down if you show genitalia. And I think if you're a guy, you can show nipples, but if you're a girl, you can't. So anyway, you can thwart them by um, by not being gender normative and confuse the Instagram filter bots into uh, reassessing whether or not the nipple is a um, is an obscenity. Think of all the money that has gone into trying to train artificial intelligence to tell the difference between. Nipples and navels. Yeah. Or yeah. Right. Nipples or nipples or uh, or pug noses. Nipples or uh, baby bottles. Anyway, we should free the nipple, as I am fond of saying. That's another T-shirt I have. <laughs> I don't believe you say that at all. <laughs> uh, but you can go to our uh, our social media accounts, which almost certainly will have zero nudity uh, at Omnibus Project. Also, at Ken Jennings and at John Roderick. No nudes. Please. At all. Uh, you can send your nudes to us at theomnibusproject at gmail.com. Do not send us your nudes. Send John uh, your nudes. Uh, you can uh, go to my Instagram account. Still no nudes. Uh, you can send us Polaroids of your nudes to P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. Are you encouraging people to use the U.S. mail for this? You can send us nude statuettes <laughs> uh, from your uh, your Northern European pagan religions. I've, the, the box I was opening appears to be Hawaiian in theme. All right. Someone sent us Maui crisps. Okay. Are, that, are those banana chips? I'm not what sure. What are they made of? I'm not sure what's going on Did here. Did they send um, us any Kona coffee? Any Maui Wowie weed? It appears it's to a be... a big box full of stuff. It appears to be crocheted socks. All right. I support it. Oh, Maui crisps are actually some kind of jerky. Artisanal beef chips. Have you ever had an artisanal beef chip? No, but I'm willing to try one. They're all wrapped in plaid paper, and it's not clear why. Maybe as Christmas presents, or are they trying to hide the label? Is this like the Pepsi challenge? Are we trying to? Are we supposed to not know we're eating Kiawe barbecue taro chips? See, that's what I was afraid of—that they were taro chips. Because I can't tell whether a taro is a potato or not. Uh, do you not eat a lot of poi when you're in the islands? I don't. I eat a lot of barbecue pork. Maybe this note will explain. Oh, no, it's just a Christmas card. Um, if you want to go to uh, the Facebook page Futurelings, don't post any nudes there, please. But if you go to the Futurelings Reddit page, of course, Reddit is just full of nudes. And then I don't even know if you can post pictures on Discord. I don't understand it yet. But uh, we have Futurelings groups in all three locations. Thank you for sending us this Hawaiian beef, Perry. What else? There's so much stuff in that package. There's a little squirrel? I don't know. Uh, a, a small publisher called Toins sent us some copies of their books, including How to Replace an Empty Roll of Toilet Paper. I already know how. Which is an 82-page instruction manual. Mm -hmm. Oh, this is fun. Song lyrics in chart form. 
That seems interesting. I've, these are funny. Percentage of people who were kung fu fighting. How many? Everybody. 100% yeah. were okay. kung fu fighting. 0% were not. That's good. Statistic probability of getting fooled again. I presume this is of the who. Well, I, I don't think you're going to get fooled again. They do not look... Uh, yesterday, it's very high, but as the chart progresses through today and again, it gets very low. It becomes clear that the who will, in fact, not get fooled again. Right. Very fun. Thank you for sending us these these books, Toins. Yeah, thank you very much. Those seem uh, like a good way for Ken and I to pass the time sitting here by the by the fire at Omnibus Cabin, <laughs> reading about how to replace to- toilet he, paper rolls. I'm sitting on the I'm sitting on the couch trying to read, and Ken is across the room, uh, interrupting me by reading aloud all of the, the John, song John, lyrics John. in chart form. <laughs> you got to check out this one. You got to check out this one. It's about like Tiny Dancer. Anyway, please uh, support Patreon Omnibus. Please support Omnibus by uh, contributing to our Patreon. It does support Patreon. Uh, At patreon.com slash Omnibus Project. Your generous contributions have made Ken's and my life uh, as podcasters so much more uh, rewarding. And uh, you'll be rewarded as well. At the various levels of donation, you can hear bonus episodes of Omnibus, which we have a lot of fun with. There's one particular level where you can actually suggest a topic for the show. Mm. And uh, this very episode, Entry John, was the first time we have, uh, we have honored one of those. Oh, wait, was this, a, was this a suggestion from a donor? Krista Dahlstrom. Oh, thank you, Crystal. Krista with an A. Thank you, Krista. I was going to say Crystal Dahlstrom, but it's... Krista Dolph. She wanted to hear about streaking, and hopefully not because she knew you had somewhere between five and eleven different yeah, streaking I, stories. I, the more I think about it, there's quite a bit of streaking in my life. I'm a little bit embarrassed. But that's a cool perk that exists at uh, I can one of the higher donation levels. Thank you, Krista. You're very generous. Thank you, Krista. Um, I hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, and if not, you do not get a refund. Yeah, and those of you who are like rolling your eyes or chewing on your cud about uh, the fact that people now can pay to have omnibus entries. Uh, go take a go take a flying uh, jump at a rolling donut. All the suge- go take a flying streak at a rolling donut. All the suggestions <laughs> we've gotten have been very omnibusy. Pe- yeah, well, people, people appear to understand people what people understand what belongs, what should be in the omnibus, and streaking certainly should. Absolutely, we love a good campus fad. Uh, we do. John loves uh, nudity. I do. I do not. Pro- I, I mean, I mostly do. I guess it turns out I like it more than I thought. Well, you're always in the bathtub. Yeah, and we didn't even count the, the times I took my swimsuit off in the ocean and all these other streaks that were like... Does that count as streaking, to take your swimsuit I, off well, in the I ocean? Yes, I was swimming pretty fast. <laughs> Listeners, from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization survived. We, we survived streaking. Hopefully that means we can survive anything. We hope and pray that the catastrophe we fear may never come, but if the worst comes soon, Krista Dahlstrom's recording may be the final entry in the omnibus. I'm very sorry for the rest of you who donated. (laughs) But if Providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus. Omnibus.